Welcome to the Relationships Matter podcast. I'm your host, Dan Doster. Are you considering a career change? Don't go it alone. Come, join the discussion, and listen as my mid-career guests discover and reveal their decision-making process to move from successful business jobs to consulting, entrepreneuring, or taking early retirement. Welcome to the show. My guest and friend, Steve Terrell, was highly successful at NCR and SAS, both in direct selling and in partnering to sell hardware and software. Listen as he shares the many interesting projects he found after he decided to retire. With so many activities, can you truly call it retirement? Welcome to the show, Steve. Good afternoon, Dan. So tell me about your background. Uh, What are some of the highlights of kind of the long arc of your career? Well, you know, I've I've kind of made quite a few changes in my life for different reasons. But, you know, I'm a farm kid at heart from Ohio who went into, you know, a business studying business at Ohio State University and then coming out and and getting into the early stages of selling computers. In fact, back in the time, it was many computers before, you know, we knew of our personal computers and laptops to small businesses. And um, that was uh, kind of pioneering. And um, uh, it, it was it was broad enough to learn a lot, but not. <laughs> I certainly wasn't a technician or or anything like that. So, who did you? What companies did you work with in the early years? You know, I, I, out of college, I I went with NCR Corporation and their computer group, and um, you know, and I stayed with them, you know, through being acquired by AT and T, and and then back again as NCR for uh, 24 plus years. Always in sales? Uh, well, I w- yeah, I think it was pretty well related. I, I, you know, I went through the sales to district manager to doing my stint in the home office, and uh, which was a more of a staff job in marketing, and, and then back as a, a regional sales director. And, and, uh, and then... Uh, Pretty much ended up that way. In, and did did would you, did you make your quota very often, Steve? Well, you know that answer. <laughs> yeah, I I, I was um, I, I was proud to say that I I never I never missed as a uh, a business manager, sales manager, my P and L or my revenue number. And and far as sales numbers go, I I think I was like. 17 or 19 or 17 to 18 or something like that when I had a cord. I should have had one one year and it kind of got screwed up, but it, it would have been a little bit better. But yeah, I, I pride myself in a pretty good record. And and after NCR, AT&T, back to NCR, then what did you do? So um, I went into a company called SAS. And, and, and were you in sales or marketing in that yeah, for SAS. I, I was an ex- alliance executive or partnership executive, so I managed the relationship we had early on with Sun Microsystems. And, and how many years did you stay with SAS? Almost 13. Wow. Okay. And were you on quota there, or it was more of a home office job? 
No, it, it was quota, but because it was overlay quota, quota to salespeople, there was very it was very subjective about whether you earned it or not. <laughs> so that so that uh, that took you up to uh, mid to late career, and when you dismounted out of SAS, uh, you had to decide what's next. So tell me about the process of figuring out what you were going to do after SAS. You obviously had a, a wonderful, successful career at both NCR and, and AT&T for a short time and, and SAS, uh, all corporate kind of jobs, mostly selling uh, kind of jobs. And then you got to a point of transition to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with the balance of my career? So tell me about that decision-making process after SAS. Well, you know, a lot of process basically came down that I wasn't happy with what I was doing any longer. Um, I really wasn't in a sales environment, in, although I considered myself a salesperson. You know, SAS is run by, like I said, uh, an introvert, a very technical man, a very intelligent man. Um, he basically, you know, companies reflect those people who really control and own them. And he basically, uh, he was that technical person who really appreciated all the software development and all that. But, you know, he kind of thought in some ways he was right that his product sold itself. And certainly that was true in the early years of SAS when, you know, uh, students came out of, you know, their SAT, university and they just that's what they used that's what they wanted there wasn't a lot of selling but as they got to be a more competitive uh, software segment of the industry it was a lot and it was very very difficult and um, if you're not appreciated in your profession like you think you have earned it's not it's not a real pleasant place to be and I and I, I just knew it was time to, to do something different and and um and really, I won't say I, I wasn't sure what it was. You know, I retired and I had no idea. Basically, basically because I had always extremely identified with my career and my position at the time with my identity as a person, mm. you know, to the point where it, that wasn't good. And, you know, if you put yourself identifying with material things like your title, the money, the number of people that report to you and all that, that can go away in a, in a split second and you're like left with, okay, who am I, you know, what am I good for, et cetera. And uh, I kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to do it. And I jumped in into retirement and 58 and a half and um, didn't look back. I, I always wondered what I was going to do if I would ever retire, <laughs> you know, and you know, for, I think I was blessed. Kind of God looked after me and, Transition was pretty pretty good. I I decided there was things I had a basic interest. To, I I knew, but I really never acknowledged to myself. Mm. And um, you know that when we when we physically moved out of the Raleigh area and back to Ohio, um, you know it was kind of a, a clean slate too. But we still had the support of families around here. And it was a recognizable <laughs> environment that I grew up in. So I kind of leveraged that. So I wasn't like necessarily starting from scratch, but I hadn't been around for, you know, 40 years or whatever it was. 
you know, in person. So, um, I, you know, getting back to things that I thought was good for me, you know, mm. I always wondered who would come to my funeral when I was in this. <laughs> well, so as you were uh, moving back to Ohio, did you consider doing a startup? Did you consider consulting? 58 years old is not all that old. So, uh, meaning, you know, still had gas in the tank. So, or, or were you ready to say, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shift completely into retirement. How, so, Tell me a little bit more about that. Were there was everything on the table, or did you kind of take some things off the table? I would say it was it was in between. I I think that I was really looking for something different. But the other side of it is, I was thinking, how do I leverage what I think I'm good at, and um, in in whatever you know profession or whatever you know volunteer or um, retirement you know opportunity. It was very difficult in some of the things that are dear to my heart, and, and that is in advocating mental health education for the for the public. That I would run into people who you think would be extremely caring, extremely open. Those in mental health therapy and clinicians, you know, but. I found out that that profession is also, also promotes those same people who have little or no managerial experience or organizational experience. You know, they're usually one-on-one -on -one people, you know, who are therapists and they put them in a job and all of a sudden they don't know to do how to manage people. Let me back up just for a second that uh, within the first year or so, I, I was looking for something to do part-time or whatever, and I did get a job with the USDA talking to farmers and collecting data and stuff for crop reports. And, and it was really, a, I, I, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea because the, the details they wanted, you know, it's just not one of my strengths. But talking to people and understanding and, and you know, catching up on where, you know, in agriculture that I grew up in, it has changed so often. But more important, it really established a purpose for me and say, okay, to understand my skill sets and everything to do something else. Because during that time, to answer your your, your question, I started to um, branch out. I, I became a precinct uh, trustee for the Republican Party. Uh, I got involved in Repu local Republicans and in the state. Republican Party, and I took an interest in what was going on as far as our government goes, and couple that with advocating to the state agencies what I, I thought was needed as far as mental health education goes and, and some of the work there. And then there was an opportunity to become a township trustee. And I yeah. never dreamed of, like, of <laughs> being a politician, but um, <laughs> um, I – you know, it, it, I never dreamed of being a, a trustee either. I mean, a lot of the trustee work is, you know, um, hey, I got, we got drainage problems or we got this neighbor problem or we got zoning problems, you know. And uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I found a way to give back to community because in, in our community, we are haves and have-nots. We have people here who are, really half nots. Our poverty rate is, is pretty pretty significant. But then we got people 
with lake homes that are worth, you know, million, $2 million and, um, and come in once every, you know, two weeks or weekend or whatever. Um, and I really wanted to be, do something more than just what the typical trustee did. I wanted to take on more of one improving the community. We have a lot of our, our lake community has been around for a long time. There's a lot to be done far as delinquent taxes and in, mm. in, in properties that are run down. Um, we have in the last five years, our, we have built our tax base up to $215 million. Wow. And we are only seconded to the county seat far as the tax base go. Now, it, it, was this an elected role or an appointed role? Well, I didn't expect to do it. We had our trustees. I was actually on the zoning variance board for a while, which was an appointed position. And, and you just, you, so I had a little bit of taste of what was going on with, with the trustees in the township. But the trustees we had were decent people, but they just did what they had to do, which is so typical of trustees. <laughs> and, and, uh, they, when they were came up for re-election, they basically got the re-election thrown out their back, uh, their application because they didn't fill it out right, so they couldn't run. Two of the three could not run, and then I caught word that they were going to have their wives run, and then they would resign and appoint them back, and I didn't like that, so I decided to run basically on, hey, I think I can do this job. I think I do it the right way and for the right reason. And, and we'll see what happens, you know? So I was writing. We, we all end up, it was like seven candidates were write-ins. You're still in that first term or have you had to run for re-election? Now, next year, I'm, it's four-year term and I'm, I'm winding up my third year. You're going to run again? I probably will. I mean, I, I really see improvements and stuff. We, um, you know, it, it's, it's very rewarding. It's, you know, to talk to people and you get calls and, and, you know, to go beyond the call of duty and, and become known for that is important to me. I, I want to pay for it as I do in our nonprofit. Well, now I, I would have expected you'd do something entrepreneurial uh, in retirement. Did that ever cross your mind? Well, I think our nonprofit's entrepreneurial. Yeah. I mean, not because to make money, but the numbers are there. I mean, the numbers of how many, you know, in in the training, for example, how many are instructors, how many are you working with, how many are getting trained across the state and where you're, you know, you're making an impact. Um, and this is all focused on the mental health space. The nonprofit is. Yes. Yeah, Okay. definitely. Yes. A worthy cause, uh, without a doubt. Well, you, you can see what we're hearing about now. I mean, you didn't hear that uh, years ago. And, and you know, the, there's still the obstacle that people aren't – the stigma of not being able to see somebody's problems, you know, is, is, is the problem. <laughs> you know, with mental health, you can't see it, you know, with – Physical health, you know, if somebody's got a broken bone or they're missing a leg or something like that, right? Very similar things that, that, but you just do not see one 
and we've never trained people to try to understand it. So it's like, I'm scared of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, The unknown. And I think that's where we're at with mental health. I think we're coming out where people were talking about, you know, we didn't think of trauma as being anything, but somebody who's in an auto accident and they were, you know, threatened by going into shock. And we knew what that meant physically. Trauma is huge in your mental health. Mm. What people experience, what our kids may see, experience, it, it, it is impacting for your whole life. And, as, and it's not the only thing that can cause a problem with your mental health, obviously. Your, your own DNA, you may have it, you know. Um, areas of weaknesses. Maybe it's an area of weakness where, hey, I, I'm, I'm just more anxious than most people, right? Yeah. So yeah, well, it's, there's a lot to know, a lot to understand, and it's complicated for sure. And I, I have no doubt that that uh, we're still in the early days of understanding it, just uh, based on what you've described and and uh, the effort that you've gone to in the last years, uh, at least is making a difference, is beginning to move the ball forward on on. Uh, informing and training because if we don't start there then what is there well i i have i feel like the the process in 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 this world we call prevention we want to prevent you know overdoses we want to prevent addiction we want to prevent suicide we want to prevent bullying you know we want to prevent well that's preventing is what you want done how do you get there's another thing how do you get there well it's really Prevention is a lot about understanding and education. So how, why does somebody want to, to be educated? Well, first of all, they may become aware of something that enters them and says, this is important. Maybe I should know more. So you seek out to know more, and then you kind of say, maybe I'll get a little more, little more education. Right? Mm-hmm. That's and, right. And the education becomes a huge factor in prevention. Um. I think going back to something that relates to business too is, you know how some of the great leaders would boil down a very complex problem and be able to arc, uh, articulate it in a very simple, brief statement and people would understand. You know, in sales, this elevator pitch. How do you capture somebody's interest to talk about, you know, is something you're selling if, if you can't, you know, say something in 30, 60 seconds Mm-hmm. that would get their attention and be meaningful and valuable enough to want to spend some time to talk about it. And, you know, makes perfect sense. I mean, that's, that's a good application of, of learning that you picked up elsewhere. But let me ask uh, kind of in closing, um, any advice that you would give to somebody else who is moving through mid or late career and is thinking about making a change? You, you obviously uh, had a wonderful career and pivoted into the next thing and found some very interesting things to work on that you've just shared with us. Uh, as others uh, kind of approach mid to late career, any advice that you would give? Well, for, for myself, it was the advice of not placing your value as a person on a lot of material things. The job, you know, in the case of retiring, 
the job, you know, was a means, you know, and, uh, but it's not you, it's not your identity. You picked up a lot of capabilities, skill sets, et cetera, experience from that that you can apply in a lot of different ways. So, you know, don't expect that you're going to just capture all that and this switch is going to go off and you're going to go find out where in the real world you fit. I mean, the retired world, you fit. And just because you they term retired and, and not necessarily working for somebody or having your own business, et cetera, is, you know, uh, changes. It, you, you, you're working at something, you know, you're trying to progress at something. You may better yourself in different ways personally, you know, and, um, and, and then I, I think too, it's just the, the gratification, the reward in helping others is just un, unexplainable. <laughs> I say when you thinking about retiring and stuff, I would really get into something that you felt like you could help somebody else and grow from that. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dan, for having me. My thanks to Steve for sharing his story of success, followed by success. Whether working in industry or helping move those around you forward through politics and a nonprofit, Steve knows the significance of always doing your best. This brings us to the end of the Relationships Matter podcast. I'm your host, Dan Doster. Thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out via email, dan.relationshipsmatter at gmail.com. And remember, as my dad always said, the fun is in the rugs.